Welcome to No More Mondays, the podcast that helps you navigate career challenges through the wisdom of professionals who have been at the same crossroads. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are here to share practical, tactical advice and some inspiration on how they arrived at career satisfaction. From job searching and career changes to going out on your own, we're breaking down barriers and providing actionable takeaways to help you take charge of your Mondays and ditch the Sunday blues. Welcome to the No More Mondays movement. Hello and welcome to No More Mondays. I am your host, Angie Callen. Mindset. There's a trendy word. We hear it everywhere. Growth mindset, positive mindset, abundance mindset, scarcity mindset. Carol Dweck even has a book called Mindset. It might feel like a buzzy term, but there's some real practicality to the role mindset plays in our lives and in our careers. And today's guest, Michael O'Brien, has been up close and personal with this topic. After suffering a near-death cycling accident, Michael realized that to heal his body, he needed to heal his mind. It's a discovery that not only helped him physically recover and complete a cross-country bike ride, by the way, it helped him step out of corporate career, start executive coaching, and build a meditation and relaxation app called Pause, Breathe, Reflect. And it is a fantastic way to build small habits and moments of meditation into our day, and it is all because of how Michael has embraced mindset. Move over calm. There's a new player on the app scene, and we're going to dig into all of it today on this episode of No More Mondays. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, Angie. I like that. Move over calm. There's room for a new app. I love it. So that's cool. Maybe that should be the new tagline. That's the new tagline. Move over calm. Well, actually, we don't want them to leave the room because they're doing great work. So we'll just like, they can sit right next to us, right? And we're going to, we'll get into why both you uh, both of you exist in the space because you're it's healthy competition and serves different niches but before we go there i am excited to talk about a lot of different things with you and learn a little bit more just about how this all came to be and and just the pivotal moments in your life that have created it but i always think especially because we talk so much about kind of career and the melding of life and professions it's great to have backstory so i would i would love for you to give everybody out there a little of like the foundational stuff kind of like where you started career wise how you got into cycling cuz that was a huge a huge component of the life journey and just kind of everything that led up to the big shift and aha moment well, I start off as a young farm boy. No, um, so uh, um, but I grew up in upstate New York, actually living across from a farm. And sports was a big part of my life, the traditional sports here in America. And I watched the Tour de France. They had like a 15-minute clip of the Tour de France way back in the day when we had three channels on the TV. And I was like, that is that is so cool. Like, that is awesome. And they had a soundtrack going. I was like, this is pretty cool. And I always loved riding my bike because I could go places. That was my independence. And I caught the cycling bug. I quit every other sport, I think, to the sadness of my dad. You know, uh, the hardest was like, dad, I'm not going to bowl anymore. But we're a big bowling <laughs> family. I love it. Well, because cycling was not as mainstream in like early eighties. I'm like, it wasn't as mainstream. Yeah. It was like late seventies. Uh, Breaking away was a, a pivotal movie in my life uh, about the cycling like journey there in Indiana. 
But yeah, no, there wasn't, there was really no U.S. presence until Greg LeMond came into play around the mid 80s. This was well before Lance Armstrong. And I was like, yeah, this is it. Here's the key, though. Three doors down from me in my in our neighborhood was a woman named Georgina Terry. She worked at Xerox, an engineer, had polio when she was younger, so she walked with braces, but she was an avid cyclist. And she would just be riding out in all kinds of conditions in upstate New York. And I thought she was a pretty cool person. And she left Xerox, had a good career there, to start her own bicycle business. And the whole niche was building bikes with a geometry that was based uh, based on women's bodies, so for women. Because all the bikes that were made up until that point were all based on dudes. She started this bike building business in the basement of her house, welding down in the basement, and created this cycling company and really revolutionized cycling as her journey continued. And so she was a mentor to me. So she was the one that, you know, showed me my first bicycling magazine. It sounds like you know, the, your, your first version of Playboy back in the day, dated reference, <laughs> but like, I was like, it's bicycling. Yeah. Oh my God, it's a whole magazine about There's bikes. a whole magazine of it. Because by the way, for everybody out there who's under the age of like 32 and or did not grow up across the street from a farm because- Western Pennsylvania and upstate New York, kind of similar in that front. Like we're talking, you used to have to go turn this button we called the rotor to move the antenna on your roof to get like the third channel. And if you hit the side of the TV, maybe you could get a, a, a scratchy fourth. And so it was like the access to information was not nearly what it is today. So this is like really, really kind of big stuff to have something that we take for granted today that you can go and buy 12 different models of women's bikes from one brand. And here Georgina is down the street from you rocking that whole future. Yeah, it was it was her side hustle before we even knew about side hustles. It was so it was so cool. Um, So that's how I fell in love with cycling. And I just kept the bug the whole way. I went to school in Virginia, ended up going to D.C. after graduating got into sales, into pharmaceutical sales. And that's where I spent most of my career from an individual contributor to the big boss, a team of a thousand, all that jazz. Along the way, and I know we'll get into it, I had my last bad day, my cycling accident that you referenced, you know, met my wife and here we are talking. So that's the deal. I love it. So here's what I think is is interesting is that how things come kind of almost full circle, because there's this idea that cycling played a huge part in your in your life at a young age and really informed kind of the things you're passionate about. Didn't go into that as a career yet through through life's journey, it comes back to create an aha moment and create a platform for kind of what's come out of that pivot point which I think is just really, really interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. Like after my accident was over and we're getting on to the recovery, my wife said, the bike almost killed you, but it saved your life. And there's a lot of meaning to that because coming out of the accident, which we'll we'll get into here in a bit, the doctor said, had I been 10 years older or not in shape, not fit from all that all that cycling I've been doing, I certainly would have died before I got to the hospital because I lost so much blood. 
So that's where that reference comes from. But it also sort of gave me a rebirth of a different way of like waking up to life. You talked about mindset in the intro, a different mindset so I could heal my mind and therefore heal, heal my body. So the bike has been instrumental in my life. So yeah, the fact that I'm here blows me away. Uh, and I, yeah, I never, you know, I did not have this on a vision board. Like we, we, you know, the letter to my future self did not include any of this. I don't think vision, um, bo- speaking of woo woo hippy dippy sometimes, cause that's a, that's a term you and I laughed about when we first chatted. I don't know that vision boards were a thing when we were kids, but let's, yeah. I want to talk about almost like the career entrepreneurial component of how this has all kind of evolved for you. You know, from an action perspective, how did you, and I'm sure it didn't happen overnight. It was, I'm sure it was a little bit of an exploration to figure out, but like, how did you parlay your experience, this experience, the knowledge and kind of that idea of personal growth and realization into this executive coaching and meditation teaching that then set up for the app, which we'll talk about later. But like, I would love to understand from like that career perspective, how did this all evolve and come together? Yeah. So what a great question. So there was something that happened when I, when I was in the ICU that totally blew my mind away that I don't remember. So I'll I'll give a little context to the listeners about the accident. So I was out in New Mexico riding my bike before a company offsite got hit by a Ford Explorer that was going 40 miles an hour, uh, broke a whole bunch of everything, lacerated the femoral artery, uh, medevac me to Albuquerque for surgery, 12 hours long to save my life and to save my left leg, went to the ICU. So totally drugged up, do not remember any time at all in the ICU. My wife flew out with our youngest, our oldest stayed back. The girls were three and a half years old, seven months old at the time. My life got tipped upside down. Actually, all of our lives got tipped upside down. And so when Lynn, my wife came into the ICU during all the different visits, I said to her, go find David. David's our leader. He will show us the way. I do not remember again, any of this. And so when I come out of the ICU and I'm starting to get my bearings, she's like, who's David? I wanted to I go, just ask you, who's, da- who's David? So, okay, I'm glad that that's a part was, of this. I was like, what? I'm like, so who's David? You kept on telling me to go find David. He's going to show us the way. And I'm, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And, you know, I, I was not still, Angie, I was not in good shape. I was in a whole bunch of pain and I wasn't really all that patient. And I was the type of guy in my corporate life, I would never talk about work at home because it was stressful enough. I didn't really feel the need to relive it at home. We know we had two young daughters and my wife had her thing going on. I was like, I'm just going to leave all that stuff at the office or bottle it up inside, latter more than the former. So David was the first person I knew um, who was an executive coach, Uh, lived up in Portland, Maine, I didn't have a corporate background, more of a psychologist background, but we hired him, my team. We had a co-promote with a big pharmaceutical company called Pfizer. I'm not sure if anyone's heard of them, you know, a little startup. And he was working with us on team dynamics because we had this two company partnership. So I didn't know anything about this whole coaching for business people until I met David and he and I hit it off. I was like, 
he's doing some really cool things. He's like building people up. He's helping people perform better. He was bringing in some of this mindset stuff to me. And I was like, this is a, this is a good dude. About 20 years older than me, I think. And he was David. And, and I come out of the ICU and Lynn asked me, who's David? And I'm like, like, you got to be kidding me. Like all the people I could have told you to follow or mumble out. I chose him and I was like, well, that's a seed. That, 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 that's a sign of something. And so I spent the next, you know, 13 years watering it, thinking is it time to harvest it? And then in 2014, my company went through a major global reorganization. My boss got kicked out. I got a new boss and that new boss was no bueno for me at that point in my life. And I was like, you know what? Thank you, universe. I think you just told me to harvest the damn fruit. And so that's how I took a total leap. I had, I had a pretty comfortable existence in corporate life at that level. And I was like, I'm tapping out. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to start this whole thing. I had no idea how to start it, but I just, I believed in that one moment way back when in the ICU that I was meant to do this type of work. And I, oh, there's so many like cool. Okay. So if that is like the most obscure moment, like most obscure realization that could happen in this like almost random moment of lucidity, <laughs> when you are probably like drugged up and out, out there, like what a seed and what a gift that was. But I think also you have to look at, um, it, it, this is also just a giant conversation about mindset and that idea that you very easily could have taken that situation and an event and gone scarcity mindset with it and let it kind of tank the rest of your life versus using it as a, as a transition point and, and, and what ended up becoming a platform for good. And I think anytime, same with the light, like the, the boss situation and choosing to leave a bad situation, it's kind of like a blessing in disguise. You were getting pushed towards a precipice that you were kind of meant to go off of in order to bring all this together. Yeah. Early on in my recovery, I was like, you know, negative Nancy, right? Cause I was, cause the doctors were like, Hey, listen, you should just be happy you're alive because based on your condition, you're probably not going to walk well again. You're not going to ride again. Your life is going to be not so great. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I got, I got really depressed, angry. I wanted to get back at the driver, a little revenge, you know, thrown in there for good measure. I grew up leaving like tit for tat and eye for an eye. And I was like, but I would try to put on this like brave front and like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Like when people would call, but deep down inside, I was, I was so angry because he had a revoked license. He should not have been driving that day, but like the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. It's almost like and you're then, going through those stages of, of grief in a way. Oh, totally. Totally. Although Again, this is like pre-internet. This is pre, like, there's no TED Talk. There's no Brene Brown. There's no LinkedIn or Facebook. There is no Hal Elrod yet, who has a no, very similar experience. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Hal and I have traded stories. Um, and it was, yeah, so it was, there was none of that. And, and so I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. So I was like, 
Um, so yeah, so I, I got really negative until a mentor shared with me. He said, like, listen, everything's neutral until you label it. And I was like, huh? I, I, I'm still like, my frame of mind is I'm still pissed off at the world and trying to pretend that I'm not. And he's like, everything's neutral until you label it, which I think is a, a little bit of a riff from Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning, right? That, you know, there's like a space in between what happens and what you do. And in that space is your growth and your freedom. So it was like, it's neutral until you label it. So this is a moment that's neutral. You get to choose the label. And that was, once I let that sit with me, that was like, oh, that's a big moment. That's when I went back and said, okay, I get to choose how I approach this. I get to choose how I look at my life. I get to choose my labels. I'm going to label my accident day, July 11th, as my last bad day. And not because I believe in unicorns and rainbows and an endless supply of Skittles. It was more about if I have my girls and my wife and people around me who love me at the end of the day, when my head hits the pillow, how can I honestly call that whole day a bad day? Because I still have really good moments in that day because of them. So it was really starting to look at my day as like, my day is filled with moments. Some are awesome, some suck, some are sad, some are angry, some are beautiful, some are awe-inspiring. The day is filled with all of that. So I can't chalk up the day as a bad one fully if I have people who love me in my life. And so that's what it means. And it, it was sort of the start of my gratitude practice again back in 2001. No one was talking about gratitude um, or what a practice was. And, and I knew nothing about mindfulness or meditation, except that I thought it was something that people who like grape nuts would do. It seemed very. Hey, there's nut. nothing wrong with grape nuts. Hey, you know, grape nuts is a fine breakfast cereal. It, you know, it's quite healthy. You, you we ate a lot eat of a grape lot. nuts in the eighties. Yeah. Like grape <laughs> nuts were like grape nuts, Angie and product 19 were staples yeah. in our house. You always had to put um, sugar on the grape nuts, though. Yeah, like you. Well, you had to. You had to because it was eating like eating rabbit food. Like it, it was like yeah. it was like it was like it's like break bunny. your teeth, pull out a filling kind yeah. of rabbit food. We, we were looking at our bunny. You're like, our bunny's food is very similar to grape nuts, mom. She's like, eat your grape nuts, and so and we're like, so we just put more sugar on it uh, before we knew anything about sugar. Right. Like, oh, God, how much have we grown over the years? It's incredible. Oh, my gosh. I, so, I want to go on the diatribe about high fructose corn syrup because I heard an article about it the other day on NPR that just made it so fascinating and just made me understand food in the 80s so much more. But since this is not a nutrition podcast, we will move on. Yeah, we digress. <laughs> but that was that was the big that was a big aha for me. It was like, OK, everything is neutral until I label it. I get choice. I knew I had to slow down. I really did. Being an athlete my whole life, I knew I had to like just find my breath. Because uh, in all those like bowling games I would take when I would get stressed, my dad would say, take a breath, slow down. And so that was the start of my mindfulness practice. I crawled out of my hospital bed into my wheelchair and found a quiet place in the 
in the hospital and I just slowed down, connected with my breath and just tried to think about how I wanted to show up in the day. It was like my moment of reflection, my moment of neutrality. And that was the start of it all. And again, I had no idea what to do. There was no teacher. I wasn't going to any yogi. I didn't know anything about yoga back then either. Like, you know, I grew up playing baseball, basketball and bowling. Like we weren't doing any type of contemplative type of exercises. <laughs> no, it's a, it's it's just so interesting because it the significance in my mind of the kind of chain of events here is really rooted in like the timing of it all because there wasn't the accessibility or awareness around it. And I I think that that idea that everything is neutral until you label it really reinforces that idea that we have a choice in how we uh, react to things, view things, label things, and can either choose to make it positive and constructive, or we can choose to kind of make it our downfall. And you made, Absolutely. you made the positive choice. Of course it didn't happen over, you know, it took a little bit of the bad and the ugly to get to that point of neutrality even, but then now you've got your building blocks. Yeah. I can look back um, those early years it's pulling from the quote, no mud, no Lotus, like the Lotus flower that blooms on the lily pad grows through the mud and the muck of the pond. And so I was going through some really muddy moments and my progress to your point wasn't overnight and it wasn't linear. Like I would have like some great progress and then I would have a major setback and need another surgery. And then I'd go way back to like negative Nancy and, you know, being all bummed out about life. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe this. This is so unfair. Why is this happening to me? That was another also big reframe uh, switching my perspective from why is this happening to me to how is this happening for me? Which is a, Ooh. which is a really cool question to ask yourself as you're going through tough moments, but you can't rush it. Like when we go through a tough moment, we are sort of grieving what we knew to be our, our identity, maybe like in the previous moment or, or whatever it may be. So, but that reframing of, why is this happening to me, which is sort of that victim mindset to how could this be happening for me and just create enough space for that answer to reveal itself? It, it might not appear right away. In the beginning, it didn't didn't appear for me. And, and the answer has also changed over time. So I just try to create some space to say, OK, how is this moment happening for me and just see what bubbles up to the surface? Well, and I think that's so very evident in. You, not only your recovery story, but what came out of that moving out of corporate executive coaching was a first step. Meditation teaching was another step. All of that evolved, I'm sure, on its own. And then it led to the app, which we're all leaving you on the edge of the seat about this app because we're going to make it so exciting that you have to go. Yes. But I, I, I think that there is such an interesting like practicality with which you talk about mindset that I think makes it more approachable for people. Because sometimes when we do hear this stuff, it's talked about like in a tone or with language that does feel very yoga and grape nuts circa 1983, right? We all were like, what are those Californians doing? 
right? And I love yeah. the practical, applicable way in which you talk about mindset and the real results and changes it can create in our lives. So I would love for you to just go a little more down that road and kind of talk about where have you seen this in our practical lives or in our professional lives, make, you know, make significant headway. Maybe it's somebody, I talk a lot about this with people who are like stressed in their job or trying to get through a job search or starting a business. It's like, it's stressful. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that those practical outcomes where you see this kind of mindset piece being very applicable and real. Oh, great question. I, yeah, I love talking about this because I think this is a very important aspect and it's what I'm trying to bring to the public with Pause, Breathe, Reflect. So as background, I grew up Catholic, last name O'Brien, makes some sense. So as I was starting to connect with my breath, again, I knew my breath only as a tool to really help me in sports, like before a shot or before a pitch. And as I dove into my practice coming out of my recovery, I learned that meditation and mindfulness was sort of born, not sort of born out of Buddhism. And I was like, well, I had given up Catholicism years ago for a variety of different reasons. I was like, well, I... I don't want to be a Buddhist that there's a whole new language there. And I'm like, I, I don't get that. I'm, I can barely do English, let alone Spanish. I'm like, now I gotta, now I gotta speak that way too. I'm like, I don't know. And then the people I was running into, especially coming at the tail end of my corporate life, because I would never talk about my mindfulness practice in my corporate life at all. Again, this is early two thousands. If you started talking about mindfulness and meditation as a sales executive in, in the pharma medical industry, in a, yeah, it's like you're going to be that guy. Medicine, people are going to be like, man, that accident really messed him up. <laughs> right. Like he's lost it. Like where's his edge? Right. So I would never talk about it at all. And when I came into my executive coaching life, I started talking about it more. But I was running into some people where I felt it was more of that great nuts, yoga, 1983 type of vibe. And I thought, well, this is how it was landing on me. It seemed to be pushing me away from the practice. And as I talked to more professional people, they're like, yeah, I don't know. It seems a little soft. It seems a little woo woo, uh, too crunchy granola. It might be good, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to go there. And so I thought, okay, there's got to be a different way. Because what I found over the years is that the breath was so important as our body's regulator to slow things down, to give, to give volume to our voice if we're speaking in public, to help us relieve, release some stress, to approach our moments with more calm. So our breath can be this wonderful instrument. I call it the tool on our tool, um, not in our toolbox, but our Swiss army knife. Cause I believe we don't carry a toolbox around with us. I think we carry a Swiss, Swiss army knife around with us. Cause a toolbox is too damn heavy. No one's carrying a toolbox. Yeah. It doesn't fit in your pocket. About like, yeah. Just, you put it in your pocket. Also in my travels, I was starting to learn that a whole bunch of professionals now are getting now into like, 2015, 2016, 2017. Yeah, I've heard about it, but I don't have time for another thing. Like I'm too busy. I, I don't have 20 minutes to meditate in the morning or 
some practices, the one I grew up with through my recovery, mindfulness-based stress reduction, it was a 45-minute practice a day. And so when I would talk to professionals about my experience, they're like, I don't have 45 minutes. Like, No, I really, I more- you really don't have time for that thing. <laughs> yeah, I like no time at all. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so what I was trying to do then slowly but surely say, okay, I'm going to meet you where you're at. So you don't have time. If you don't have 10 minutes in the day, I bet you have 10 times throughout the day where you have a minute. So give me those 10 moments in between a meeting, when you're in the bathroom, uh, when you're in the car, before you come into the house, you have these one minute intervals across across your life. And I'm going to try to introduce mindfulness to you in a way that's relatable, where you can really just you're, you're connecting with your breath. It's going to help sharpen your focus, build more awareness. And it's really going to help you like meet your stressful moments with a little bit more calm and more ease. Because, hey, as parents or as professionals, we all have moments where we react and we don't, well, we don't really approach them thoughtfully, especially with our kids. Like we will snap at our kids and we're like, oh, man, why did I yell at the kids? Because we lose our temper. They start to cry. Then we think we're bad parents. And then we think we're bad people. And this it's this rabbit hole we go down that's not. What a cycle. That, yeah, it's not great. So I was like, I just want you to have moments throughout your day where you can just check in and breathe, slow it down. I also wanted to help people pull their practice throughout the day. So I know a whole bunch of people who, you know, get their exercise on in the morning. They do the whole, you know, miracle morning. <laughs> um, they have, they, they might practice meditation for 20 minutes a day. And by 1 PM, they're a hot mess. They are spun up. And now, now we're getting into what pause, breathe, reflect the app helps us do. Right. Yeah. So this is, and this is where the practical comes together with everything we're talking about. And really that idea that you don't have to have a 45 minute meditation practice in the morning, but small habits stack up to a big change in this world. Absolutely. And sorry, in in the spirit of like James Clear and Atomic Habits and Charles Duhigg in his habit book and going back to the beginning of time, I think we all know that creating a healthy habit or you know positive habit starts small. Actually, all all habits that stick start small, right? Let's just like, you know, small ripples, as I would like to say, lead to big waves. So for me, I want you to, if you want to do calm in the morning, like we mentioned the calm app, which is totally cool. And it's a 10 minute practice in the morning. Awesome. And I know so many people who do that, but then they don't pull that practice throughout the day. They don't take their practice off their cushion. Or if you do yoga, you don't take your practice off the mat and weave it into your day. Yeah. You come out, you come out of yoga and you just go into it full fat because we, we live even faster paced than we did 20 years ago now. So this is almost even more important. Oh, so much more important because, you know, because of technology and other factors, you know, the pace of life keeps on getting faster and faster. We need to find a way to slow down. But yeah, so many people have, will have gamified their like mindfulness practice, whatever it may be, exercise or meditation or yoga or 
you name it. And they're like, oh, yeah, I've like meditated for 700 straight days. And then you talk to them and you're like, well, how are you doing? Like, ah, oh, I'm so stressed. And, like, and they're so it, spun up that you're like, well, that was useful. 700 days. I, yeah, like, <laughs> so I'm like, get your Peloton record on and your streak on. But the big thing is, again, I want people to weave it into their day. So the way I've designed the app is for the busy professional in mind. So our daily practice is five minutes and we have an over indexing of tracks that are one, two and three minutes on the app. We, I have longer practices up to 45 minutes for those that want to dive deep and do that. But most of the practices are short and relatable and coming from my perspective as a corporate executive to say, hey, I get it. I'm going to try to speak your language here. I'm also coming at it from obviously a qualified certified teacher, as well as a recovery survivor, accident survivor. So I'm bringing a whole bunch of it to, to the practice, but I really want to make it relatable. Like you can do this and I'm going to meet you where you're at in terms of time. So we have small increments, you know, small time, just give me those brief moments and around just the whole, like, I want you to learn how to do this. So many people I've run into over the last 20 years, like, yeah, I tried to do it, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't make my mind go blank. Like, I like, I'm supposed to sit in lotus position and be, um, and my mind's supposed to be going, going blank. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't do it. Um, so I don't do it. Right. Cause most of the people I run with and you run with are high achievers and they generally learn things quicker than the average bear. So when they believe that the whole point of mindfulness is to make their mind go blank, that's the expectation that they have. And they can't do that because that's not what mindfulness is. Now they you're like, a failure. Now <laughs> Here a comes failure. your type A. I can't fail. And it just goes out the window. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, I'm type A. I get everything done. I can't fail. I'm failing at this. And then it's like, well, this sucks. Like, so and if all I that could, happens inside of three minutes, by the way, yeah, <laughs> like, I tried it. I couldn't do it. Actually, like in, instead of blaming myself, I'm going to blame the whole practice. This whole thing sucks. It's wussy and, you know, woo woo. And that's the story. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like you're supposed to notice what's popping up into your mind. That's the whole it's about attention and, and focus and giving you giving yourself a chance just to slow it down, take a breath and be thoughtful. I think what this moment in 2023 calls for and really my interest in, you know, doing my teaching and coming out with the app was really born out of the pandemic because I thought the pandemic was a moment that called for us to slow down, be mindful so we could hear, see, and appreciate each other more than we were doing, right? To be connected. Uh, we, we've become so disconnected over the years. And so this is a chance to connect with yourself, connect with your the higher version of yourself, whatever it may be, and connect with each other. And so through the pandemic, I started doing more live practices and so through the app, that's what I wanted to do. Say, hey, you can do this. You can learn how to meditate without judgment, self-judgment. Take a moment for your health. 
And the other thing that we're doing around connection is I do live meditations every day. So people can practice in a community uh, via Zoom once a day. And all the studies point to when we practice mindfulness together, something changes. Like it, it has a exponential impact on the energy that we put out into the world and a sense of community, because I think we thirst for connection. You know, for me, it's more than just a hunger. Like, you know, we can live without food for a while. Uh, we can't live as long without water. So it, for me, it's a thirst, you know, it's a thirst for connection. And I'm hoping that this year, since we've gone through the, the bulk of the pandemic, I mean, I'm not sure when it ends, but I'm, that's a way above my pay scale. But I, I hope this year more people work on building more intimate connection with each other as opposed to feeling we have to have a whole bunch of connection. And I think that that's stuff that you realize as you get older as well. And we have a I'm going to plug a previous episode of No More Mondays that featured Jim Young, who specializes in coaching men, but is an author of a book called Expansive Intimacy. And it really focuses around this idea of having very meaningful connections with yourself and with the people around you and being OK with being vulnerable to do that, because I agree with you that the pa the pandemic very much obviously had lots of bad. However, we also had the opportunity to look at it as that neutral and say, what kind of opportunity does this situation provide me and my community around me? And good things have come out of it. And I think one of them is an awareness around our need for connection and our need to kind of be more mindful around our own health. And I love that this app is giving people a really practical tool to do that. Absolutely. I think I think the pandemic, again, going back to that question, like obviously significant loss and significant hurt. But in many ways, it happened for us, you know, to maybe recalibrate around health. And what does it mean to be healthy? We saw what happened to Mother Nature in the early days of the pandemic where she there was no smog like, in L.A. Yeah, it was it was wild. So in terms of planet health. I think there was a big lesson in the pandemic. I also think like the U.S., the U.S. suffered more than most countries for a variety of different reasons. And that's maybe some of those reasons are for a different show. But I think one of the reasons why we had such loss is that our immune systems have been so highly compromised by how much stress we've been carrying around. And so when we're stressed and maybe not eating properly or, you know, feeding ourselves well or however you want to say it, but really the stress on our immune system, that constant state of inflammation uh, makes us more open to different diseases, whether it's, you know, in the moment or downstream. And one of the things I hope pause, breathe, reflect gives people as a way to let go of that stress so they can stress less and regain some of their health. So we this is a great point to say to, to let's say move into the advice component of the show, because sure. uh, 
the app is a great piece of advice. It's it's a a low cost way to explore low time commitments, small habits around this kind of mindfulness piece. So I'm going to say that's one of Michael's pieces of advice. But what other advice do you have for people out there who might be in that stress space where they they either they're aware or maybe not aware yet that stress is taking a toll and they have the ability to do something about it. Like what advice do you have for them as far as what they can change small things that they could do to start improving it? First thing, best piece of advice I received years ago, first thing in the morning, grab water, which is probably something in Colorado you guys do all the time because it's so dry. We're all chronically dehydrated around here. (laughs) But our body needs hydration to work properly. And if you're sleeping all night, whether it's five hours or eight hours, you haven't had anything to drink. So first thing I do each morning is hydrate. Um, I'll go through my calendar. I'll do all those different things as far as prioritization. But really around stress, I tell people, like, get out into nature. Nature has this beautiful way of building. One, we feel connected to something bigger than we are. And it's a beautiful way to let go of some stress. And it doesn't have to be long. You could just like get outside for a bit, like come away from your desk or if you're in an office, get outside. You know, you know, some days are not going to be pleasant. It's going to be rainy, could be cold and snowy. But most days you can probably sneak out sometime to get outside. So water, get out into nature. And as adults, I would say go back to your childhood in terms of bedtime. Like when we were younger, we had to get ready for bed. And if you're a parent, you would tell your kids, all right, it's time to get ready for bed. There was a whole process to get ready to go to sleep. And for a lot of adults, we just work until we're like so exhausted. We just want to our feet. Yep. Yeah. And so I would just offer up maybe a little space, a little, a little time. It doesn't have to be an hour long. You, you might not be taking a bubble bath if, unless that's your jam. And if that's your jam, you know, get it on, but just give yourself some time to downregulate, get ready for bed so you can get to sleep. Cause that's another way to help us renew our energy and repair our body. And so it's sort of like how we want to wake up, hydrate, Take moments, of course, to PBR throughout the day, not Paps Blue Ribbon, but my kind. Get out into nature and then have a bedtime ritual so you can get to sleep and hopefully stay asleep. This Now you all know why Michael and I get along, because the number of times I tell people to drink more water and go outside and have a routine <laughs> Like I say that multiple times a day, but I think what's what I love about the third piece is we hear a lot about morning routines and I am a big I'm a big proponent of them. We don't hear as much about the wind down routine in the evening other than the don't look at your phone for a half an hour because the blue light can affect your sleep. But I really think looking at this is like, hey, go back to your childhood and think about how there was a wind down routine and it usually involved reading. Yeah, reading some like, you know, reading with a parent, um, reading by yourself. And what you're doing is you're cueing your body to say, it's time to sleep. And then your body starts to know that, you know, we we didn't grow up on like sending out emails until like 11 o'clock at night and then expecting us to fall asleep. You yeah, know, from like, your phone, throwing it crazy. on your bed, throwing it on your bedside table and then trying to go to sleep. Yeah, that's normal. 
Oh yeah. Or doom scrolling the internet. Like it's like, or just, you know, doing whatever we do on Instagram and stuff, wishing we had a better life. Like all that stuff does not help us in terms of our health. So generally I believe this is that we have a lot of the answers within us because, because we we've gone through these experiences and we, we tend to forget them, you know? So I think some of the things that we learned as a, kid as a child, I think can be applied to our life right now. We do it as parents, but we don't necessarily do it ourselves. Yeah. And if we can just take those small steps, I'm a big, again, small step over time with consistency type of guy. And then you'll look back, you get to the end of this year, you'll look back at this time and say, wow, like I've made a lot of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it, it's got to start somewhere. So I say, start small, Start and build it from there. Yeah. And the big overarching theme here, in my opinion, is all of the, all of these things help us slow down. And even if it's for a moment, a few times a day or in the morning or in the evenings or once at the top of the hour when the app reminds you to do your 59 seconds of meditation, it's it's kind of about slowing down. And, you know, in my mind, I've been I was reading something recently. I can't remember what it was, but ultimately it was like, OK, what would happen if you just didn't get it all done? Mm. what would really happen? And I think that we're just so caught up in feeling like we have to get it all done and have to just keep up that that just per- perpetuates that stress cycle, the last minute doom scrolling at night. Cause you haven't caught up on whatever everybody's doing that is meaningless to our individual lives. And so these are, these are just tools and small, small steps to start kind of chipping away at, at that and, and and really shifting your mindset. So we just brought it full circle back to the mindset around it's okay if you don't get it all done and you don't have to be in that constant stage of busyness. Absolutely. I, yeah, it's like permission to not get it all done. I would, I, you know, I'd set up an expectation or at least some type of process say, okay, what what's truly important here, right? Going back to your first principles or your values or priority list, however you want to say it. But yeah, the overall message I have for folks, and you can take a lot of different pathways to get get here, is slow down. Like we are going way too fast. This principle was underscored during my trip, right, across the country last summer. When I was going super fast downhill through the Rockies and the Tetons and everywhere else, I was screaming down these mountains at 45, 50 miles an hour. Like my vision was, you know, like really focused on like the five feet in front of me, maybe. I could not hear very well because of the wind, right? But when I would slow down, when I reached like uh, level ground, well, things opened up, my vision expanded, I could hear better, um, all, all that good stuff. And so there's a some lesson in there, but I I do think we're going way too fast. We're reacting to too much stuff, some stuff that just doesn't matter. So if we could just slow down a beat or two, it's not to say we're going to stop. Like we, we want to move forward. We want to make progress, all that jazz. The body loves to make progress. The body loves to move. The mind loves to move. But if, if we could just, Maybe instead of going 90 miles an hour down the interstate, if we backed it off to 70, I think we'd be doing just fine. You'd also take in the sights a whole lot better. There you go. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's the thing. Know. That's the thing is it's not like we're telling you to just drop everything and be a couch potato. That's exactly the opposite of what we talk about. But just that idea of kind of sifting out some of the superfluous stuff so that you can just, you know, take it down 10, 15 minute, 10, 10, 15 miles an hour and enjoy and enjoy that space. Yeah. Enjoy the ride. We We only get one crack at this. Like you might as well pay attention to it. It's it's a pretty cool ride. If you let it be. Yeah, it just we're we are hamsters on our hamster wheel, believing we have to grind away. And I know, you know, we're recording this in, in early January that that whole it's the most wonderful time of the year holiday. I had some vacation feeling for most people left the building along with Elvis a couple of days ago. And so life doesn't have to be that way. So we can still be uber successful, however you wish to define it. You can make things happen. You can get shit done. What I'm inviting people to do is as you do that, slow it down a bit, pump the brakes and enjoy the ride and be grateful for what you have and this moment, because this is the only moment you have. And right now it's the only moment that matters. Look at your neutrals and what opportunities do they provide? Absolutely. As we start to wind things down and go on about, you know, our adventures for the day, uh, I would love for you to just tell everybody exactly where they can find the app, where they can follow you, learn more about your stories. How does how does everybody stay in touch and and tune into the journey that you're on and get inspired by it? Uh, thanks for asking, Angie. And by the way, awesome to be with you. I loved our conversation. So the App Store or Google Play, that's where you find the app. To celebrate 2023, the price is only $23 a year, which is like four lattes, depending on where you go and how many shots you put in your latte. So it's pretty awesome. $99 uh, for lifetime access. So pretty cool. I want to I wanted to make it easily, easily accessible to as many people as possible as we start the year. And you can find me on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Pause, breathe, reflect is the handle. My cycling life is on michaelobrienshift.com. Uh, or that's my corporate professional page, but also sort of my, more of my cycling stuff. So cool. two places, but LinkedIn and Instagram are probably the two best places. And of course, the app. And it's probably worth noting something that I know is obvious because I'm looking at you on a screen, but Michael has all four limbs and everything works. So if there is a testament to overcoming odds and and putting your mindset, really putting a mindset into play to generate outcomes and create opportunity from something that could have been negative, here it is. So whether it's pause, be, breathe, reflect, or tuning into uh, his cycling journey, because you're still doing cool stuff there as far as charity rides and the cross country ride. We didn't even get into all that, which we totally could have. Oh my gosh, there might have to be a 2.0 here. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I'm riding. Um, I'm riding across Iowa this year, uh, riding across New York state, going to Mallorca here in a few weeks. So um, yeah, I'm still riding and, you know, yeah, maybe there's a 2.0 that we can talk about the cross country adventure known as the rise to ripple ride that I did last year. So 3,600 miles. Yeah, it was pretty, it was so awesome. We live in a beautiful country and I hope that people can really appreciate it and experience it. So get out into nature, go visit your national park. 
Yay. That's what we did for the New Year's. And it was fantastic. And I I totally am I'm a big fan of the kind of outdoor adventure nature and what you can realize with yourself. So we'll leave you all in suspense on what uh, cycling adventures Michael's got coming up and the app, the uh, the the coaching and cycling site. All that's going to be linked in the show notes at nomormondays.info so you can tune in directly. Michael and I are connected on LinkedIn so you can uh, find him there and just tune into all the awesome this has been a fantastic conversation. I feel like there's so many little like pearls of wisdom I keep wanting to grab, but let's leave everybody with your number one gold nugget. What's your best piece of advice on what everybody out there can do to get one step closer to career and life satisfaction? Slow down and breathe. There you go. I have that that song stuck in my head now, and I rarely sing on this show, but slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the moment last. So there you go. <laughs> And my husband is now it. rolling his eyes because I'm a terrible singer. But there but that is that kind of wraps it all up in a nutshell. Right. Number one piece of advice is like give yourself permission to slow down. Absolutely. It just will help you live life more wide awake. And that's a pretty cool way to live and a pretty cool position to be in if you want to ripple something good out into the world. And I think we just need a whole bunch of people rippling goodness right about now. The world needs it. Mother Earth needs it. We, all, I think we all need it. And you have something to ripple. We are put on this earth to do more than work, pay taxes and die. And you owe it to yourself <laughs> to figure out exactly what that purpose is. Give yourself the space and slow down and find it. I love that you're laughing because it's true. But I think that we live that way. It's true. Yeah, it's just your identity is not your job. So you just, you know, embrace life. So be th this is a quote that I heard. I think I think it has multiple authors, but um, be more afraid of not living than dying. That's an excellent way to send us out from an awesome episode of No More Mondays. Michael, this has been such a great conversation and there are just so many pieces of inspiration in here and, and actual practical advice too to help everybody out there not only just get a step closer to satisfaction, but to live more and with less fear and with less space. So thank you so much for sharing your experience, your knowledge and everything that you're doing to help people get a little bit closer to a more fulfilling life. Thanks, Angie. This was so much fun. I hope all of you enjoyed it. We always love hearing from people who are navigating career and life crossroads, overcoming challenges to chart a path to success and fulfillment. It's a bonus when they're helping others do the same. And I am grateful that Michael is now part of the No More Mondays movement. I hope that you will tune into everything he's doing. Check out the app and that awesome $23 deal for the year, because I have a feeling you're going to get $23 worth of value out of it. So uh, there's some amazing advice in here, and I hope all of you took some notes. And for all of you listening out there, I would love for you to subscribe to No More Mondays and leave us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast because we are awesome, clearly. And it helps people like Michael and I continue to bring stories to all of you to build confident professionals and help people enjoy life a little bit more. If you want to leave us comments, feedback, drop a guest suggestion, or get the show notes and all the links from today's show, visit us online at nomormondays.info. And I'll see you next week for another episode of No More Mondays podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No More Mondays. Tune in next week as we bring you more insights and actions to help you improve your professional life and find career satisfaction. Don't forget... 
Visit us online at nomoremondays.info for all the details, show notes, and recommendations from this episode. No More Mondays, we drop new episodes every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by Career Benders Inc. in partnership with executive producer Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit our website at careerbenders.com.